0: You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. I'm your host, Curry Bordelon. Today, we're excited to have experts in resilience join us. Welcome to you all. As we get started today, I would really like for us to take a few minutes to go around the group and introduce yourselves and tell us what you do at UAB. Whitney?
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Whitney Pollio. I'm an assistant professor at the UAB School of Nursing, and I work predominantly with the pre-licensure and undergraduate students.
0: Excellent, thank you. Casey?
2: Hi, I'm an assistant professor in the School of Medicine here at UAB. I'm specifically in physical medicine and rehab at Spain Rehabilitation Center. Um, I'm a licensed psychologist, um, and the attending psychologist uh, for the Spinal Cord Injury Unit here um, at Spain Rehab, and I also uh, see patients out, outpatient as well. I'm also the uh, Director of Wellness here
3: at Physical Medicine and Rehab.
0: Excellent, thank you. And Peria?
3: Yes, my name's Peria Wheeler, and I'm an Associate Professor here in the UAB School of Nursing. Um, and my background is in developmental psychology. Um, and my role in the School of Nursing um, at, from a student standpoint is working um, primarily with the PhD students. And then my research um, is focused on predictors of successful aging, um, mostly in individuals aging with HIV. Um, and one of the, the particularly um, relevant correlates that I'm interested in is, resi- is in resilience and how that's associated with better aging outcomes uh, in this population and in other populations.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And then I'll just go ahead and uh, start with you, Perry. Uh, You know, you you bring up something about the specifics of populations. Can you tell us a little bit about what resilience means to you? How is it defined within your uh, area, your focus?
3: So that's a good question. So in the in the research arena, the term resilience is very elusive and different uh, researchers and clinicians define it in different ways. Some people think of it as sort of a trait that you're born with. Others believe it's something that can be built. Um, but I think everybody can agree that resilience is, whatever it is, it, it is something that helps us to adapt more positively when we have stressful situations occur. So whether it's just day-to-day stressors um, or more traumatic events. So having these, what I call resilience resources, or these um, these qualities or skills or, or resources that we have that, that help us to, um, deal with stressors. So they can be kind of cognitive things. So the way that we think about stressors, whether we think of them as a threat or a challenge, uh, as well as more external things like social support and social resources, um, and other things, uh, just some people are just naturally more optimistic. And so again, I do think there's traits, I think there's cognitive um, skills or, or approaches that we use, then of course, those external research, resources like social support are crucial to being resilient.
0: Uh, excellent. Thank you so much. It's very informative. Whitney, I'd like to talk about your particular uh, focus area and what resilience means to you and to your population.
1: Thank you. Yes, um, I would like to build a little bit on what Perry has said in that um, we know that resilience includes um, withstanding and rebounding from adversity, but Um, we are also capable of growing from these experiences. And in my work with the undergraduate students, I actually teach in a course, Concepts in Primary Care, where we interweave resilience through the curriculum. And what we try to do with our students is to actually help them build this toolkit um, of resiliency strategies, the the self-care, the physical activity, meditation, yoga, um, journaling, uh, many of these things um, really help people through adversity. And when they learn these skills, um, they're um, more competent in the workforce, they're more happy in their workplace and they're also able to share these things with their coworkers and with their patients.
0: Excellent, thank you. So Casey, can you talk about a little bit about your focused area and, and you, you know wh- how, what does resilience mean to you and, and what definition do you have of resilience?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with my peers here on the panel of everything that they've said. Um, I would just add to that something I think that is important um, to acknowledge as well is that when we go through significant stressors or life events, it's perfectly normal to experience um, sadness or grief um, in our losses. Um, But, um, what is not normal is when it impairs you from being able to complete your daily tasks and um, that's when it's something more clinical. But um, resilience does not mean that you don't experience emotion. Um, emotion is given to all of us and um, is important to pay attention to for sure. Um, and uh, I would say in particular with nurses, just to build on what Whitney was saying, um, they tend uh, to have and truly any of us in the helping profession do tend to have skills developed in terms of being able to compartmentalize um, to be able to help our patients in that moment and um, get through um, difficult times but it doesn't mean more robots and it doesn't mean that we don't experience emotions too and it's important to build a practice for ourselves um, so that we don't have the build-up effects the cumulative effects that can come from um just working with people in the hardest most difficult times of their lives
0: so casey i'd like to continue with you You know you've talked a little bit about um about you know resilience within your population within your focus area and i really want to talk about a little bit deeper and how do you meet them in that place, if you will. How do you meet them and get them to start that trust building process to, to be able to communicate? Because, you know, we all can talk, of, we talk about resilience, but one of the core you know, core elements is we got to have that trust bridge, if you will, to get us to that point of being able to open up and build resilience. So in your area, how do you get your pay your population to open up and to start that beginning process of building resilience?
2: Sure. Yeah, I have the benefit of working with a a diverse and um, wonderful team here Um, physicians, nurses, occupational therapists, physical therapists, um, myself as um, a psychologist, speech language therapist. Um, And so, really, where I start with patients is just to acknowledge that trust is not given, it's earned, and to let them know that there are a few things that we do here at Spain Rehab in order to. to start to build that trust. And one is to let them know that communication is very important to us and they are the center of their care. So when we ask questions, we truly do wanna know their perspective. But I also let them know that we do our best to try to keep their team members the same so that they, um, when they show up for afternoon therapies and when someone comes to get them, that they see the same faces um, because um, that is important, especially um, on the spinal cord injury unit, we see a lot of people following trauma And um, we see a lot of young people that have very little experience, if at all, in the medical setting. And so, um, you know, it's scary and it's overwhelming for many people. And so I do just try to outline it and start our relationship in a place of open and honest communication that hopefully we can continue to build on.
0: This is very helpful. Thank you. And you touched on several different things I'd like to ask Whitney's uh, opinion about. Whenever you have uh, your, whenever you've identified a need or you've identified, you want to, you know, dive deeper into a focus within your population or your focus area. So Whitney, how do you meet your population where they are to be able to get them to a place where you can start building resilience? Yeah.
1: Excellent. And I just really love what Casey said, Um, you know, I shared with you that I teach mostly in the undergraduate. However, I do my own research as well, which is um, patient education and patient communication. Um, And I try my best to share this with my students as well. Um, it's great if we can if we're the best at doing our skills, but what we really need is that relationship with our patients. We need to build that trust, and I try to tell them, you know, how to communicate with your patients, how to how to build that personal trust with them. And even in my research, it's shown yes, they want the best doctors. Yes, they you know want us to be professional. Yes, they want the the best information and the best skills but they want a relationship with their caregivers. And once we build that, their, their, their ability to follow their care plans, their desire to be um, invested in their care plans um, is so much um, more intensified when they feel like the caregivers actually care about them as a human being. So once we build that trusting relationship with them, the sky is the limit as far as you know trying to teach them how to take care of themselves and install these resiliency skills. in, Um, it it just, relationship is so important in that.
0: Excellent. And you you started mentioning something about caregivers and I'm gonna circle back to that because that's such a vital uh, part of the building of resilience and the building of trust and so forth. So uh, hold that thought for just a second with caregivers, but I wanna talk to Peria for a minute in her very unique um, population, I know you do a, quite a bit of research and so forth, but in the vulnerable population of individuals with HIV, how do you get them to a point at which that you can not only build that trust, but help them build that resilience for long-term health?
3: Well, so I think um, in this population, it's, it's interesting because the, the research that we do, so we're, we're our, um, Our sample that we're working with are individuals who have had, most of them have had um, HIV long term. So they've been living with it for decades. So it's interesting to, to, to hear their perspectives, especially with qualitative data on how, you know, many of them feel as though their HIV diagnosis was um, a turning point. And so uh, this is often referred to as um, post-traumatic growth. So you actually grew, um, kind of like Whitney was talking about, you grew from this um, traumatic experience. And in fact, you know, there's, lots of work in this population and even other, uh, chronic, chronic illness population showing that they actually, if they could go back and change their diagnosis, they actually wouldn't because it, it, it gave them so much perspective on life and allowed them to really grow for it from it. So I think this population can give us, give us a lot of insight on resilience in terms of how they have used a traumatic event, like an HIV diagnosis to, to grow from it. Um, and even just with more kind of, um, kind of more quantitative data when we when we look at the data with these participants even just a very simple questionnaire asking them um, different questions about um you know how resilient they are that really taps onto a lot of outcomes so people with hiv with higher resilience have better health-related quality of life better cognitive functioning better health behaviors so it's in this population i think we can i don't know if i'm directly answering your question corey uh Curry, but we can we can learn a lot from them in terms of Ways that they, the, the resources in their life that they draw upon to become more resilient.
0: You no, know, this is actually it's very helpful and it, it puts a perspective with a vulnerable and very unique population and how they sustain their resilience, how they start it, build it, sustain it, especially in a chronic disease process. Because that's a, a lot of times many, many aspects of that is translatable to other uh, types of disease processes or trauma-related events that you can start that process of healing and move forward, you know, and there's oftentimes people who need resilience the most or people who are involved in trauma, uh, traumatic events who need to start building that resilience, they often have a stigma associated with that. There's a stigma, whether it be with care providers, whether it be with individuals and so forth. How do you help that individual address and recognize that stigma instead of it as a barrier, as a potential, Tool to improve their resilience long term, Whitney?
1: Yeah, so I love that. I was actually thinking while Perio was talking about empowerment um, and when they get their diagnosis and they have their questions answered, it's empowering to them. And, and you had asked me about caregivers before, and we have to realize that our patients don't live in a silo. Their caregivers are part of their care team as well. When they go home, that's who's gonna be helping them. So we need to give the whole entire care team the tools to empower them to take um, control of whatever diagnosis, whatever um, illness they have, the more tools they have the more empowered they feel as peria was saying the better their outcomes are um, we need to look almost beyond patient-centered and call it patient-driven or patient um patient-directed care because it's their care and we need to make sure that they have a lot of say in it
0: excellent thank you and this is as as we continue the conversation about stigma and incorporation and of caregivers into this into this um, conversation. I'd like to talk to Casey a little bit. Casey, how in your um, in your focused area, how do you help that population or your focused population to move from that stigma space into a space where they can actually incorporate some of these key principles into their long-term success. And part two of so along the same line is the incorporation of caregivers into that movement.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, So uh, I always let people know that I am not just there for, I'm not just here for them, but for their families as well. And um, do a lot of family work. Um, I teach a class on the unit, actually, um, that patients as well as their caregivers are encouraged um, to attend um, on building resiliency. And really where I start is A, what's the definition of resiliency, so we're all sort of on the same page. But um, in discussing with people the the qualities, the characteristics that they have um, already, because most of us, um, regardless of what age we are or um, at what point in our lives we experience something as traumatic, potentially a spinal cord injury, and seeing your loved one going through something like that as well we have many life experiences and sometimes at even though spinal cord injury feels like for many patients the most significant life event that they've ever had when they received that diagnosis and now trying to figure out how to live with it um, what i encourage people to do is to um, look at all their life experiences and everything that makes them who they are and their caregivers as well and um, really talk about the investment that they've made in their support system to date and the opportunity that this has given for people to really see what what they've put into their relationships now they're able to receive back. Um, Goal setting, right? Um, uh, Problem solving skills, um, communication skills, general extroversion um, is one of those traits that um, it is seen to be beneficial for people in terms of resiliency. But really trying to highlight the skills and, um, that people have and help them learn how they can incorporate what they already have available to them and apply them to this new situation in life. And to acknowledge any deficits that they have and that's where we can spend our time trying to um, uh, bolster those, those places where they feel a little weaker.
0: And Perry, I'd like to continue the conversation, uh, and with your specific focus area, uh, when you talk about stigma, you know, how do you get that patient past that or utilize stigma in a positive way? How can you, how can you get your population or your focus area into that space to, to be able to move past that stigma? And also how do you incorporate caregivers into your, uh, support with resilience?
3: So it's interesting because the the population um, that I work with tends to be older individuals, um, like I said, aging with HIV. So um, it's interesting with the the stigma aspect, at least with just, you know, many of especially in Birmingham, Alabama, many of these are African-Americans living with HIV. So they are they are they have lived with these stigma, these um, intersectional stigmas, the HIV the, the um, racial stigmas, and then also you've got the, the ageism that, that people in this population can experience. So I feel like that just has has really, for most of them, I, w- I won't say that, that, that all of them are this way, but I feel like that is what has built up their levels of resilience so high. And I, and I will say like when I do some comparisons between my um, HIV negative control group and my HIV positive group. We don't see any differences in resilience. And when I was in California, when we would do these um, comparisons, the um, people without HIV often had higher levels of resilience. And I really think something about being in the Deep South, this the, the HIV demographic that we have here, um, actually has this going in their favor as a, as opposed to some of their counterparts in other in other regions. Um, and and your point about caregiving, you know, it's funny because these uh, these, um, these participants or patients are, are very healthy. Um, and it's funny because many of them are actually caregivers themselves because they are so healthy and they're older. So they may be being caregivers for their parents, for example. So the caregiving, uh, I guess, um, from a broader sense, just kind of, uh, I think others have touched on this, just the importance of your, whether it's a caregiving role or not, but just your, your interpersonal um, connections in your in your life so it may be your your family your friends but the important thing is to, to surround yourself with um supportive social networks um particularly in this population where things like you know um hiv disclosure i mean they may not want everyone to know that they have hiv so it's important to surround themselves with people that are supportive um in their social network for sure
0: okay thank you so much and you started ta- talking about something that's very important and that's, that's the next area i want to focus on is you know, all the things that we're that we're challenged with currently um, in our society, everything from COVID to racial injustice to, you know, obviously the the difficult, challenging uh, political climate, everything that we're seeing right now and that we're challenged with every day. Have you seen a change specifically with, I mean, you know, definitely with COVID? Have you seen a change in your focused areas related to how these environmental factors have added additional strain to your focus group or your population, Whitney?
1: definitely and i was actually thinking that while perry I was talking um you know i mentioned the um, elective that i teach the concepts in primary care where we interweave the resiliency in that course and through that it's a grant funded we actually have a resiliency coach and we just had a virtual conference a couple of weeks ago and she shared some of the findings you know a lot of people are are doing research right now. And she was looking into how it's affecting the nurses in the hospital right now. Um, obviously this is something that our younger generation has never seen anything like this before. And when they are looking at the ICU nurses um, with the stress, anxiety, and depression, it is significantly higher in our 18 to 24 year olds than it is in our 65 plus. And it steps down through every age group but obviously our older nurses that have the lifetime experiences that perio was talking about they have a wealth of knowledge that could be shared with our younger nurses i i think that it's a two-way street the younger nurses need to reach out when they're feeling stressed and overwhelmed but also the older nurses need to learn to recognize these signs and symptoms in their younger coworkers and reach out to them and try to share some of the strategies that have worked for them or even just listen because being able to talk about what you're going through and kind of um, decompress as they call it, um, that's very helpful as well. So I think that we have something that we can really tap into right now that could help our frontline workforce right now.
0: Thank you. Perry, uh, same question to you, same discussion about how all the different societal pressures and stressors that we're seeing, have you seen any changing in both your population and or any caregivers within your population?
3: So I think the you know, in terms of the the HIV um, population specifically, you know, this is a population that, despite what I've mentioned, some of the strengths they have in terms of, you know, you know, the older population having the, you know, more resilience and more life experience. Um, As a whole, this population does tend to experience social isolation. As I mentioned, that could be due to, you know, disclosure concerns and things like that, but COVID certainly, you know, is, is having an impact on populations that already were experiencing social isolation, for sure. Um, you know, in another line of work that I have um, looking at um, health disparities in African Americans, uh, not with HIV, um, we have a study where we're looking at health behaviors, so things like diet, exercise, social activity, um, sleep, and so we are um, we have an intervention study going on, but we're having a very difficult time, obviously, uh, due to COVID with enrollment, but one of the things that we're we're asking about is how has COVID impacted your ability to engage in a lot of these health behaviors. And I know Casey and Whitney had mentioned before these health behaviors, certainly these self-care behaviors fall under the umbrella of resilience because they all can contribute to to our um, bolstering our ability to man, uh, manage stress. So I think COVID is from a research clinical and personal standpoint is kind of limiting our ability to engage in these health behaviors. And we have to be more creative about how we do it now.
0: Thank you so much. You know. It- it's clearly evident you all are very passionate about your, uh, your populations, your focus areas, and so forth. You're very passionate about making sure the patients and caregivers and the uh, participants are very engaged in the process and learn about resilience. But, you know, you also talked about how it's so important to have self-care, uh, and we talk about that quite a bit. Uh, we'd like to talk about that more uh, because self-care, we often, especially as healthcare providers, we push that to the back. We focus on our patients or our population in need. So Casey, in your area, how uh, can you talk about a time, even beyond your area, can you talk about a time in your personal life where you've had to really focus on your resilience, like being you know, taking care of yourself and, and understanding where your resilience plan lies?
2: Yeah, I think like um, the rest of the world, um, the separation um, between work and home life changed drastically in March and um, working here in the hospital, but as a psychologist um, in our division at the time, we have four um, full-time psychologists, each with an inpatient service that we were responsible for. We we all also have lives outside of the hospital, and each of us have very different situations um, outside of the hospital as well. So we had to figure out, um, unfortunately, we're um, led by a division director and and an interim chair who um, are very interested in wellness and maintaining um, wellness. And so really um, thinking and expressing ourselves at an individual level, right, that support Right. Resilience is important. Communication being important and self-efficacy. And we recognized as psychologists, we need um, to learn more about PPE and infection control because um, nurses are phenomenal at this where um, we uh, needed more guidance and support. And so But what we did know is we needed to conserve our workforce. And so initially what we did was we pulled back and we left two providers for the inpatient service and to providers working from home remotely on a 14 or two week schedule. Um, As we educated ourselves, got a little better sense of what was going on. Of course, we wanted to protect our trainees. So we pulled all trainees from clinical work, um, initially in the hospital, really just needed to regroup, get some protocols written um, and really have, you know, also for ourselves that we're trying to figure out homeschooling and childcare situations and how to work from home Um, Really just giving ourselves some grace and mercy in the process, supporting each other through the process and a judgment-free place where we um, could uh, find um, understanding, education, and balance for ourselves so we could get a little bit of self-efficacy for how we were going to be able to move forward, recognizing that this was not just an acute situation. This was something we needed to really envision in the long run. So that made a lot of different iterations and it required us to be flexible and change as the hospital um, uh, policies changed as well and um, continued to evolve, right? So we're not done. And obviously same thing at home, schools were changing, um, uh, seemed like day to day there for a while. And um, so really just figuring out how we um, could make things work for maintaining some stability at home as well as meeting the needs um, of our patients. Um, so that was that was definitely an opportunity, I think, for, um, as we have all um, really been pushed to at this time, the need for resilience.
0: So Peria, can you provide us uh, an example or, or a thought when it comes to a time that you had to build resilience uh, within your life?
3: Hmm. So I'm a, I have two small children. So I think that, um, especially when the second one come came, which was in January. So then COVID happened. So it was like, you know, back to back. But I think that one of the things that it has taught me is, and we all hear, you know, the don't, don't sweat the small stuff or control the things that, that matter. So you know, we, we worry about all these things and we can't control everything. And so really it's just important that we take it one day at a time, focus on things that matter. If there's dishes in the sink maybe that doesn't matter at the moment. If you don't want to cook dinner, maybe you get takeout that night just to cause yourself some, 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 you know, save some sanity for yourself. Um, So I think um, having the two small kids from a personal standpoint, and as Casey mentioned, just having uh, there for a while, having the kids around more and having to balance the, the, especially with women with COVID. I mean, I have to, we all know that women have been hit very hard with the, the COVID, um, you know, the issue of, of working full time and managing a, a lot of the brunt of managing the home life has, has fallen on women. Um, but then of course, I always will give my plug for my professional stress always comes from grant rejections, manuscript rejections. I get those constantly and I use those as an, an opportunity to really show um you know, my ability to bounce back because I'm going to keep trying. You you, you don't give me that grant. You don't publish this paper. I'm going to keep trying until you do.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much. That was very helpful. You know, our last few minutes together, I'd like to talk about resources, talk about different activities that are available uh, for people who want to learn more about resilience, but at the same time, what resources are available, whether it be for healthcare providers, for students or for our patient populations. So Whitney, can you tell us some of the resources that you have available to your population?
1: So um, as as a service um, thing here at the School of Nursing, I'm actually on what's called the Admire Committee and we have a subcommittee called Wellness and I lead that one. Um, so I was thinking about, it has really helped us a lot in our work-life balance. I mean, it's hard when you're working from home to cut it off at a certain time or start at a certain time and, and come up with boundaries and our dean was very interested in us um, focusing on wellness but it's really helped as far as our work-life balance for instance a couple of weeks ago um, i led a session on zoom of course where we colored halloween pictures and we did a zombie icebreaker and we just you know had a lot of laughs and giggles for about an hour and a half and um you know everybody was able to reset and and finish their day and really feel like you know, that um, they were able to, to de-stress and get a little bit of, of balance out of that. And we um, are trying to do something every three or four weeks throughout the calendar. We do stuff like meditation, chair exercises, um, cooking lessons and that sort of thing, um, just to kind of promote that, that wellness within our faculty and students.
0: So Casey, what about um, different resources that are available within your uh, focused area?
2: Well, in preparation for this talk, I, I really wanted to pull together some resources knowing re- nurses are gonna be watching, um, but um, sp- but kind of at a bigger um, level, um, the Road to Resilience podcast, um, is wonderful uh, and it's specific, it's put out by Mount, Mount Sinai and, and it they do wonderful things and they've done a lot um, during the pandemic with nurses and physicians and just moral injury. and um, But overall, it's, it's a podcast that anybody um, uh, can subscribe to focused on resilience. Um, Headspace is a um, mindfulness meditation app. They also have a website and um, through the end of the year, they're offering for us-based nurses the headspace plus to the paid subscription portion for free um and so you just have to go just google headspace for nurses and the application is there um, where you can um learn more about that um what's up on the screen now is um happy it's another app and um right now they um are uh um it's a 20, free, 24-7, one-on-one conversation with a support giver team member, um, just to have somebody you know, express empathy, listen, some connection. And so, um, first calls for all nurses right now are complimentary, made possible by the American Nurses Foundation. Um, the Mood Fit mobile app is another app um, that um, you see here on the screen. Um, and it's reminders to practice self-care during times of stress. Um, So with a focus on supporting overall wellness, it allows you to set personal goals, set up convenient activity reminders, um, and they've partnered with the American Nurses Foundation Um, to support the mental health and resilience of nurses. And so that's another opportunity nurses can take advantage of right now. Um, For those of you that may not be aware, nurses together, so it's connecting through conversations. Remember we talked about um, community being a, um, social support being a big part of resilience. And so with my population, I work on building community around this new identity their disability, but nurses together for nurses is just allowing facilitated nurse-to-nurse video calls to provide a safe space to talk openly about self-care and wellness, recovery, resilience, care dilemmas, um, you know, those moral insults that you may experience, bereavement, and and really anything. So that's another opportunity that's out there for nurses. And the National Institute of Wellness. Uh, toolkits are another great resource that are available online and free to anyone. Um, we um, have information on that here as well, um, and um, they have you know topics covering things like um, you know your relationships, your your disease defense, right, building your immunity, your body, your feelings, emotional wellness, social wellness. So if you're feeling like you're struggling in a particular area or your patients are, you can direct them towards these free resources and you can print PreDS for free booklets on the topics and even give them to your patients, which is wonderful. And then here locally, all UAB employees, have access to the UAV Employee Assistance and Counseling Center. Um, as you see there, they've just increased to 15 free sessions per year starting November 1st. It's a wonderful resource. As a psychologist, I'll tell you people pay to come see me and this is a resource that people you would pay for uh, to be able to, to work with somebody. And the My Strength, which you also see here, is self-care tools for mind, body, and spirit again free to UAV employees. And so you can find those on their website. And then going back to what you um, the uh, what you saw previously is the UAB Office of Wellness. So School of Medicine has an entire office devoted towards wellness. You guys get those weekly Take Five emails um, that focus on the five domains of wellness um, every Tuesday. You get those in your inbox. Be sure to check those out just to kind of keep that floating in your mind weekly. You get your daily your COVID-19 update emails from the School of Medicine for employees. And typically, if you go down to the very bottom, um, when you get through all the COVID uh, updates that, that are going on in the um, hospital, there you typically have um, organizations that are giving, you know, discounts or free initiatives for people who are working on the front line. So by all means, take advantage of any opportunity that's available to you. So I just wanted to make sure people were aware of um, many of these resources that are both local as well as um, available online.
0: This is extremely helpful. Thank you so much for sharing. And I would also like to add in there that the School of Nursing has a mini con that's available uh, uh, based specifically on resilience. So you can go to the School of Nursing website Uh, and and look for that Mini-Con series uh, and look for the Resilience Mini-Con. So this has been extremely helpful. Thank you, Just
3: as
2: an update, update. we're expecting that to be March 2021. So um, the three of us will be uh, facilitating that Mini-Con on Resilience March 2021.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for the latest uh, uh, information. This is very, very helpful to our viewers and to everyone else. So thank you so much. During our final minute together, I'd really like to go around the room for a final word, a small quick takeaway from each of you on how to either just, just understand the importance of resilience. So a quick little takeaway, Whitney.
1: Um, so yes, we all experience some kind of adversity, stress, trauma in our lives. Just know that you're not the only one going through it. You're not the first one to go through it. Um, reach out, ask people for resources. Um, we, everybody has, you know, experiences where they've gotten through things and just ask, um, and, and somebody can share something with you to help you through it.
0: Excellent. Casey.
1: Um, and just to build on that. And
2: I think with what Whitney was saying earlier, trying to build a culture of empathy within our our um, health care providers, you know, nursing units. And um, if you see something, say something. You know, a smile goes a long way. And even though we're masked up, people can tell when you're smiling. So um, if you see, it looks like somebody's struggling or having a hard day, don't, don't, don't feel like it's intrusive just to, to check in. And if they're good, they'll tell you, right? And um, it, it means a lot, I think, when we take a second, um, as busy as life is to just reach out and say, Hey, I was thinking about you or,
3: Hey, I noticed you're looking a little down today. You
2: need an ear.
0: Thank you. And Peria.
3: Yeah, I guess the one thing I would, my takeaway would be just to remember that resilience is it's sort of like a, it's like a muscle. So you have to practice it to get better at it. So it's not just, you know, if you, you know, watch this talk today and you learn some skills, you you may not change over a day, but if you really, Try to practice these resilient skills. Again, many of these we'll we'll touch on more in more detail in the mini con. But if you try and be more aware of of ways that you can be more resilient um, and you find that you're actually really working on those, then you'll find that stressful situations are still going to bother you. Right. But they may just not bother you as much or they may not bother you for as long you may recover more quickly so just keeping in mind that resilience just like you would exercise for your body you do have to practice and exercise that resilience muscle for it to get stronger
0: thank you so much and thank you all for participating today this has been a very informative and very uh it's been a great uh discussion today with everyone i really appreciate your time and i certainly appreciate all that you do for each of your populations. so thank you so much And we look forward to seeing you next time on Clinical Pearl. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.